an unexpected story out of the so-called hot labor summer. Strippers united will never be divided. Binge all four episodes of Imperfect Paradise Strippers Union wherever you get your podcasts. From LAS Studios, this is Off Ramp. I'm John Raby. Yeah, I'm still trying to shake this respiratory thing that's going around, so I sound uh, like this, whatever this is. Uh, just kind of stuffed up. And You know, in radio, it's weird. People say, oh, well, Larry, Larry Mandel is off. He's under the weather. Or Terry Gross is under the weather. They never say sick. But, you know, frankly, I'm sick. I've got this respiratory thing, uh, which is really a good, um, a good argument for going around masked anywhere because you don't want to get this respiratory thing covid sure i'll mask against that but this respiratory thing is also sucky and so is the flu so maybe we ought to wear masks more often anyway that has nothing to do with today's interview which is with harlan ellison harlan ellison the famed science fiction writer i talked with him back in 2013 i went to his house and he was super nice and at the end of the interview, I asked him about Orson Scott Card, who is the notorious gay-hating science fiction writer, wrote Ender's Game. Uh, and I said, you know, uh, Harlan, do you want to talk about your friend Orson Scott Card? I could understand if you don't. And he was like, yeah, I'll talk about him, fine. And um, Harlan said about a minute or two worth of stuff about how um, he didn't believe in all, at all in Orson Scott Card's thoughts about gays but that they're long-time friends, and so he's told him what he thinks, and, and that's it, but he's not going to break up his friendship with him. So, so be it. Uh, and I, it wasn't even interesting enough for me to put it on the radio. I just put it on the web as a web extra. And after it aired, I got the call that everybody, apparently, who interviews Harlan Ellison gets after they interview him. And, and it was the call complaining that I had made him look bad, that I had tricked him. Uh, and I said, um, Harlan, I asked you if you wanted to talk about it. I read your, I, I, I ran your comments verbatim and I didn't even put them on the radio. And he's like, well, well, still, I feel like I was tricked. And that was it. But the interesting thing about the call was, uh, you know, this, ha- this, this is, Harlan Ellison was extremely well known for picking fights and being just, really horrible with the people he worked with. He, he was a fantastic writer. There's no question about that. But, but he was a dick. And I don't know why, but he was. And uh, I have one friend who worked with him on one of his famous science fiction books who wanted to write Harlan's obituary. That's how bad it was. And this guy is a nice guy. Pretty much every journalist has, whoever did anything with Harlan Ellison received an angry, shouting phone call afterwards you screwed up the story you used the word sci-fi he hated sci-fi etc etc and he would just yell on the phone so the interesting thing about my conversation with harlan ellison was that he was very quiet and i think it was because he had just recently had heart surgery and probably his doctor said harlan you can't you can't go yelling at people anymore it just raises your blood pressure and it could kill you so i got the you know i got the geriatric harlan ellison rant and uh, I always meant to get in touch with Harlan after we had that contretemps and say, look, are we still fighting? And I never did. And then he died in 2018. And I was sorry that he didn't. We had a good time during the interview. 
which I will now play for you after this extremely long introduction. Here it is from 2013, my discussion with Harlan Ellison at his house. This is Off Ramp. I'm John Raby. Joining you today from the lost Aztec Temple of Mars, the home of writer Harlan Ellison. Ellison, who just turned 79, has written something like 1,800 novels, short stories, screenplays, teleplays, and essays. He was a published writer when he was 15 and wrote or co-wrote, among many other works, the screenplay for The Oscar, scripts for Star Trek, Twilight Zone, The Man from Uncle, and Route 66, and the story collection A Boy and His Dog. He also wrote many years ago a number of stories in the juvenile delinquent genre, which have been reprinted by Kix Books and... Today at 2, if you're listening Saturday, he has a complex event at La Luce Gallery and Soap Plant and Sweeney Todd's Barbershop. Harlan Ellison, welcome to Off Ramp. Thank you for welcoming me here. Let's talk about the event first so people can head over there. Again, it's at 2. It's a relaunch for Kix Books. What happened to them that they had to do a relaunch? Well, Kix Books is in New York and uh, is run by a woman named Miriam Lina, who is famous in the rock world. And Miriam has for years done uh, books and records, Norton Records, uh, where she takes rock and roll and rockabilly and uh, uh, doo-wop people and brings them back uh, to, uh, to prominence. And she started Kix Books, and one of the books she did was a book that I had been well, frankly, ashamed of and, uh, and kept, uh, kept under wraps for uh, at least 40 years. Uh, I did it uh, in a time of destitution and needing money. And uh, she took the book, and we broke it into two paperbacks called Getting in the Wind and Pulling a Train, a uh, fairly obscene title. And uh, they are stories from my days when I ran with a kid gang in New York, in Brooklyn, purposely to get background to write my first novel, Web of the City, and a subsequent biography uh, about my time with the gang and time I spent in jail. And then Miriam and her warehouse got hit by Hurricane Sandy and washed everything out. All her books then, all the inventory. Everything went. And she had to reprint. And uh, she's a tough, tough bird. Uh, Put it all together. And then they asked me if I would uh, more or less come out of retirement. I haven't done a signing in three years. And would I do uh, a signing at La Luz de Jesus Gallery and Soap Factory on Hollywood Boulevard here in Los Angeles? And I said, sure. It's, uh, it's tiring. It's, it's exhausting. But I have signed for as much as seven to nine hours. But they all want to talk. And they all want to tell you the anecdote. They all want to tell you how you saved them from suicide and, uh, and what an impressive force you have been in their life. And while one is interested and one cares one isn't really interested and one doesn't really care but you're always polite otherwise you wind up on twitter as being a douchebag the kicks books that you're going to be signing yeah. uh in the juvenile delinquent genre yeah back in the world in the world that was that you never were you had gangs of jds and i went and joined one of those gangs when i was thrown out of college i went to brooklyn and i joined a gang called the barons and I ran with them for six weeks, got in, and I, I became their war master uh, and uh, was in rumbles and, uh, with zip guns and chains and knives. And uh, I did my first novel, Web of the City, about that. And I did many stories that were set in that milieu. Uh, the stories were, to my eye then, very crude. Uh, and they were considered very racy in their day. What do you have to have in a juvenile delinquent novel? What are the hallmarks of it? The three or four things that have to be in there. Sex and violence. 
pre-Hunter Thompson new wave, uh, new, new wave journalism writing. It's tough. It's very tough, gritty stuff. We're with writer Harlan Ellison. More with him in just a few minutes. His event starts at 2 if you're listening Saturday at Sweeney Todd's Barbershop at 4639 Hollywood Boulevard. We've got all the details at kpcc.org slash offramp. This is Offramp. I'm John Raby. Today talking with writer Harlan Ellison. No, not Harlan Ellison. Yes. For a second I thought, wait a minute, I got your name wrong? How did you you capture Harlan Ellison? (laughs) We're in his home, the lost Aztec temple of Mars. Uh, Can I just run a few facts by you here? These are stuff I got off the internet, and so I thought you could say yes or no or tell me two or three words about it. from that imbecile Wikipedia. Right. No, no, of course not. I never use that. Uh, You once wrote a story in front of a storefront window in New York City? 30 different times. The one in New York City was uh, only one of them. The Writing Under Glass, as we call it, series. What was the point of this? To prove to people that writing is a job of work, that it is not done by some sort of black-cloaked sorcerer on a glass mountaintop, that it's like tilling a field or uh, repairing a toilet. It's a job of work. Uh, in this life, there are three things that everybody thinks they can do. I have no idea what your censorship protocols will be if we need to. But I won't, I won't use any bad language. But everybody thinks they can do three things with great alacrity and, uh, and enthusiasm and skill and uniqueness. They all think they can write. They all think they can have sex. And they all think they can drive a car. <laughs> These are three, three skills which take enormous coordination and a sense of spatial relationships and uh, practice. Uh, This is to prove to people who are wannabes and have this love-hate relationship with writing. They want to be writers, but they're they're too lazy to do the actual work. You've gone after uh, people you've said are, I guess, the non-professionals who are giving away their work, uh, which is hurting the pros like you. The Internet has spawned a generation of illiterates who have no understanding of the proprietary right of the creator. And they think anything that they find on the Internet, uh, they can have. And uh, if you go to uh, YouTube, uh, you'll find a part of a diatribe from a movie that they made about me, Dreams with Sharp Teeth, in which it's called Pay the Writer. And I do about two minutes about Pay the Writer. In, in which you say you've got to get paid for the writing, and, yeah. and you don't work for free. Right. But when you started, there were a lot more writing jobs. And now there, there are people who might have those jobs, ha- if they still existed, who are now you know, stuck writing blogs, writing this other stuff, and not getting paid mm. much for it. And, and, and to that extent, I think that your, your uh, diatribe is a little unfair. And you're more than welcome to your imbecile opinion. But uh, the, the Internet is not writing. That's, uh, that's sort of uh, idle farting. Blogs are, uh, you know, my cat took a crap on the piano today. Uh, that's not writing. That's not uh, uh, Proust's Remembrance of Things Past. It's not uh, Colette. It's not Dumas. Writing is a specific craft, and it takes what Balzac called clean hands and composure. We're fact-checking with Harlan Ellison. Uh, among your odd jobs, hired gun for a wealthy neurotic? Yep. A nut job uh, took a liking to me when I was in uh, I was in high school, and he uh, packed me with a uh, Walther PBK and uh, sent me out on what I thought were stupid jobs, and I thought it was a gag until somebody took a shot at me. You love Judge Judy. I used to. Uh, menop- what happened? Well, menop- <laughs> two things happened. Judy reached menopause, and it didn't uh, sit well with her, and she's a cranky old lady. Uh, the other thing is I grew old, and I grew restless with the human race. I grew impatient with a species that can send someone to the moon, that can paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling, that can write Moby Dick, and also has to worry about whether the uh, tailor shrunk their, uh, their, uh, their coat uh, or their uh, stupid pit bull bit uh, somebody else's Yorkie. 
And so I can't watch Judge Judy anymore. That was one of my guilty pleasures. Now it's something stupid like Pawn Stars. Or, I love Pawn Stars. I That's love great. Pawn Stars. Talk about dyslexic families. Jesus. I mean, why they haven't savaged each other into oblivion by now? I don't know. Enough fact-checking. Uh, I've been reading a particular genre for years. I have only just read in preparation for this interview, and I've read thousands of stories, and I somehow missed I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, which you wrote in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. An incredibly bleak story about a, uh, the computer that man built to wage its final war, yeah. which saves uh, four or five people from death and, and keeps them underground and tortures them forever. forever. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever read anything that bleak. It's one of my many stories that is an atheist tract. And what it basically says is, machines are only as good as we are. I postulated a future society which was at odds with itself, which divided into three major parts, which were the Mideast, uh, the Far East, and uh, the rest of the, uh, the world. And each of them had a supercomputer. And at some point, the supercomputers gained sentience and all linked up. And they programmed the war so that the human race would lose. And Am, this omnipotent god, basically human... And basically evil, because it has no purpose. It's been built, but it's got nowhere to go. Brought down five human beings to torture them endlessly, to show them what they had created and what was left for them. And we later did it as a PC game. It's called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, and you cannot win it. Uh, There's no way you can get out of that game winning. The only thing you can do is play it nobly. I did it as an exercise in saying to the human race, look how good you can be, and look how stupid you are. That's my job, to antagonize the complacent. It's my job on this planet to annoy people. I'm not here to tell you how wonderfully you're doing. All you have to do is look out around you at the good things you've done, and you'll know how good. When you do bad, here am I, smart-ass Ellison, to tell you what you've done bad. We're with writer Harlan Ellison. More in just a few minutes. He's writing and signing his books, reprinted by Kix Books, at a special event that starts at 2, if you're listening on Saturday. If you're listening Sunday, I'm sorry you missed it. We've got all the details at kpcc.org slash offramp. This is Offramp. I'm John Raby. Today I'm talking with writer Harlan Ellison. How do you spell Raby? R-A-B-E. And there's a famous German writer, the Dickens of Germany, Wilhelm Rabe. Peter Raby. And Peter Raby, too, right? Was he a uh, relation? Uh, contemporary. I don't know. Huh. don't think so. And I'm not related uh, to David Rabe. Uh, Spells it the same, too. Yeah. We're sitting in your living room, in yes. your in your house, the... Lost Aztec Temple of Mars, Mm -hmm. looking at a case of miniature soldiers. Historical miniatures, what used to be called toy soldiers from all periods, from uh, Quetzalcoatl to World War II. I collect them because they're cute. Collectors like to collect small things because small things can be put, a great many of them, in a small space. This house, I'm on 200 acres of watershed land, which will never be built on, and I've added to this house, we now have something like uh, 210,000 square feet in this house. Secret rooms, underground passages, tower, three-story tower, the front wall, which is the last a- lost Aztec Temple of Mars. We got gargoyles on the outside of the house. Uh, the Hollywood dub, uh, tour bus used to come by the house. They didn't know who lived here, but they say, we don't know who lives here, but isn't this a really weird-looking house, you know? How many books do you have? Do you have any idea? Yes, I have, I have a very good idea how many books I have. I have three-quarters of a million books in the house. Uh, I haven't taken you around the house. You've only been sitting here in the living room. But in this room, for instance, the walls are covered with originals 
by uh, Picasso, Dario Campanile, uh, James Gurney, who did uh, Dinotopia, Leo and Diane Dillon, who did the covers for all my books. And most of the art here are pieces of artwork from my stories. All salon style, by the way, uh, filling the walls. Yeah. Uh, here begins the books. This is the paperbacks from, I think, in this room, there's only about... Uh, maybe five or 6,000 paperbacks in this room, which run from A to B. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Susan. Hi, Susan. Has the heat, is the heat, uh, how high is the heat today? Oh, miserable. Miserable. Very good, dear. This is our kitchen. This is the Art Deco dining pavilion that I built. Uh, it was a blank wall with a window in it, and right out there on the slope is where the sniper lay waiting to take a shot at me. These are all Wedgwood mugs, and I like keeping them on display but then that made for very difficult cabinet space, so I designed oh. cabinets. I designed cabinets that open out like this. The mug cabinet is actually a door of a cabinet. Yeah, and it's a door within a door, and that's the way the house is. Nothing is what it seems to be. Everything is hidden behind something else. For the radio audience, you don't know this, but, but, but John is, is kind of a homunculus. He's gigantic. He's very, very big. How tall are you, John? In real life, I'm 6'5". 6'5". Well, I'm 5'5", five five, so I have to look up at you. But all the doors in the house are built for people 5'5", five five, which means poor John, as he's taking you through the tour, is bending over double. And then coming in this direction, we have... Um, Stop at the script here. On the wall framed here is uh, the script of The Simpsons I did. Just this year. Just this year. Uh, where I played Harlan Ellison. Uh, Mil Milhouse turns, uh, says something to the comic book guy, and the comic book guy says, why don't you ask Harlan Ellison? He turns around, and there I am, and I give him... <laughs> like an Annie Hall. Yeah. And, and well, You don't know a thing about my work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Marshall McLuhan. This is the bedroom. More books in here, hey. Oh, more books everywhere, and underneath there are still more books. The bed is on a platform. This yeah, is beautiful. Reason, now, the reason the bed is on the platform is because the window is very high up, and when you're in the bed, you can look out across 40 miles to the San Bernardino Mountains. This is the famous artist Charles Bragg. This is Frank Miller original. We, uh, we toured Cheech Marin's house with all his beautiful uh, oh, yeah. Latino art, and there's something about living with art like this. Oh, yeah. It enhances your every day. Every day I get up and I look at this black and white, for instance, of uh, Don Quixote. The kid who did that was an amateur. I bought that at an amateur art e exhibition. He died shortly thereafter. And one of the last things he said was, it's a great honor to have my art hanging next to a Charles Bragg in Harlan Ellison's bedroom. And I like it's in the bedroom, too. You see this stuff. You see oh, it yeah. every single day. Every day I look at it, and uh, every day I'm, I'm surrounded by the best of, of my times. Life is a, is a load of memories. we got to stop because we're running out of time. There are still about 20 more rooms to see. Thank you so yeah. much. There's still time to go to the event at La Luz de Jesus Gallery and Soap Plant. Get all the details at kpcc.org slash offramp. If you just tuned in, you missed a lot more conversation, and that's all on the website, too. From the home of Harlan Ellison, somewhere in the Deep Valley, this is Off Ramp on 89.3 KPCC. And that's my interview from 2013 with Harlan Ellison. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you've subscribed to this podcast. I hope you've told your friends about it and spread the word. We could, we could use some, uh, some word of mouth about uh, the Off Ramp podcast. From LAS Studios, I'm John Raby, and I'll catch you next time on The Off-Ramp. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.